0: There was a woman that I needed to coordinate with, and Mm -hmm. it was awful. Like, I could tell when I finally brought up issues that she was defensive, she was intimidated, she did not like the fact that I was being open about a situation, but my job depended on working with her. Life gets easier if we figure it out together. Welcome to The Lisa Show.
1: I have a picture in my home of Andy Warhol that says, I think everybody should like everybody. And I think that's true. And I'm self-aware enough to know that not everybody likes everybody, especially as of late. But I don't like to admit when I don't like someone. I think it's it's rude. And, you know, hate was a bad word growing up. You never said you hated someone. You always said, I don't like the things they do <laughs> or the things they say. Or think. And it's a way to sort of tiptoe around this that we can't do anymore. Obviously, social media has polarized us and incentivized us to express our dislike for lots of things and lots of people. And I want to make a call to the value of empathy and of practicing that because I think it has a lot of meaning and value. You know, sometimes we can disagree or not like people for something trivial, right? Like they don't use their blinker when they change lanes or they use grammar incorrectly. But also on the flip side, it can be a moral issue that we feel really represents who they are. And regardless of that, what is the value in developing empathy for people we don't like? Now, as a parent, it's also hard and it's a different level of hard. So how do we develop empathy in our kids? I'm here with Carrie Ann Rhodes, and Emily Taylor and Amy Hackworth, and I hereby call the Council of Moms here, Hear. Hear, here. Tell me about a time that your kids hated someone and what you did about it.
2: Oh, I'm yeah. going through this right now. Oh. So right now, my fourth grader who is 10 is a boy, and there's a trio of girls, and I know one of them because they've gone to school since first grade and I, I know her mom and things like that. And I keep getting these reports coming back from school of so-and-so did this today, so-and-so. And it's, it's a little bit of a battle of like throwing things at each other or saying rude things to each other. And so finally I texted the mom that I know and I said, you know, will you kind of keep an eye out on this? Because I can't tell if this is 10-year-old flirting Or if there's some kind of animosity going on where you just kind of, you know, and she said, I haven't noticed anything, but I'll pay attention and I'll ask my daughter. And so yesterday something happened where one of the girls threw something at him, which caused him to hit himself in the nose with his own knee. And so he took a beanbag and he threw it at her and she said, ouch, and As a mom, I'm dying here. I remember what it's like to have someone at school that doesn't like you or you feel doesn't like you and how that can make school really anxious. And I kind of just can't judge right now, like, what level are we at? Are we at yellow, orange, red Mm kind of thing? And so we have really open talks about it of... Um, trying to help them understand how do you think they feel if they feel you don't like them or trying to kind of incorporate some empathy in there, some feelings and helping them understand that these types of actions can escalate. And you guys may be joking right now, but something may happen where suddenly it's not taken as a joke or it doesn't seem like a joke. And you really could hurt somebody, (laughs) um, really hurt their feelings or really get in trouble at school. And so He's committed to pausing, not retaliating, but pausing.
1: (laughs) Feel your feelings. Don't act on them.
2: Um, Talking about you don't have the right to retaliate. You don't have the right to, you know, get back at someone. And maybe avoid these people or kind of ignore. But we're at this crossroads right now. Something I was thinking about when you were talking was
0: the idea of how do you get your child to think about what the other person is thinking because it's easy when you're the mom To have the kid just be like, okay, great. Mom's going into mom mode. Right. Kind of shame me. (laughs) My teenagers actually say that.
1: Great. Okay. Here she goes. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And and, uh, for me, I actually get that because I'm a mediator and like I do conflict resolution. So they're like, oh, great. Kind of like roll the (laughs) eyes. Okay. Now you're going to take the perspective of the other person, whatever. So I found for me, some of the timing issues are pretty critical. Like I want to have those conversations because sometimes it's like when we're all together as a family, something like that comes up. Like, we're talking about some trouble of a kid. But if I bring it up at the moment, it's not a good idea. Hmm. But I kind of search for the right time. Hmm. Like, we're taking a walk or I actually just had that one kid in the car. And I try not to be manipulative because sometimes those conversations when you're trying to help your kid, like, be a better person, it comes across as kind of patronizing. So I found if I kind of share some of my own stories, like, oh, like, this is kind of what happened to me. My dad did the same thing for me when I was in eighth grade. You know, nobody really wants to go back to eighth grade, be in that again. But I remember when he talked about how he felt about certain people who didn't treat him well, Hmm. then it wasn't so direct that I couldn't start reflecting on my own thoughts. So for me, like we want to help our kids and we want to keep them safe. And so I think that's the first reaction when we're in like a conflict situation like that. But we also want our kids to be the nice kids. So you mm-hmm. get kind of worried. And I want to intervene, like especially given my training. But sometimes it's more I need to step back into the coach But then coach
3: in the right time and in the right way. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, yeah. I mean, as an actor,
1: timing is everything.
3: I feel like I have learned that the older I've gotten as a parent. My younger self was reactionary immediately in the moment. Like, think about how others, you want to be treated.
2: (laughs) Nip this in the bud now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah.
3: exactly. And I think it really depends on your kid, too. Like, Carrie Ann's talking about this great conversation with your 10-year-old. I'm like... Oh, my almost eight-year-old would have a none of that. I have to take the approach that Emily was talking about, that I hear the, the alarming thing. I file it. I'm like, okay, not going to react right now. Not going to make a big deal right now, but I'm waiting for that perfect moment, you know, quote unquote, perfect moment where I can say, hey, let's talk a little bit more about that. Tell me more how that felt. Really normalizing the feeling too of, yeah, it's, it's okay to not like someone. What's not okay is to be mean to them. What's not okay is Hmm. to lash out at them. You know, I've had experiences where I didn't want to spend time with someone too, but I never wanted to hurt them. Well, that's not true either. I did want to hurt them. Now <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hurt them. We don't want to hurt them.
1: I thought as my kids have gotten older, the, especially some of the teenagers, they just want me to commiserate with them. You know, because I'll, I'll go into the, well, how do you think they saw it? And they're like, no, no, that's not what this <laughs> is, Mom. He's the worst. And uh, did you hear what he did to your son, <laughs> your baby boy? They know how to, you know, <laughs> yeah. manipulate me. And that has taught me to go, oh, yeah, that's the worst. What's their deal? What's their problem? And then it's over. Like, you know, it's almost like they have to reassure me, like, I'm not going to do anything back or whatever. But they're the worst. Yeah, that's it. End of sentence.
0: Yeah, I think in a related way, validation. I mean, how much do you hear that word these days? Like, it's all about, I just need to speak my piece, whatever. Like, I need to be authentic. But I think that actually goes for anyone. If I'm having an issue— And, like, a friend or, you know, my husband basically starts telling me how I should feel. That cuts (laughs) off all conversation, right? So I think that's what I was trying to bring up, too. Like, be hesitant about Mm -hmm. telling someone how they should feel. Right. But if you just confirm— that their feelings are valid, then they start to figure it out themselves yeah. rather than being told how they should feel.
2: Well, and I appreciate the the words Amy used as coach. Both of you use the words coach because that is something my son can really respond to. He's, you know, a sports fanatic. And he brought it up to me in the moment and he brought it up because he wanted to tell me. But oh. the moment I saw his eyes glaze over, I tried to back off. I, mm. I did do a little bit of lecturing, but I I tried to back off. And then later that night... And this is important to me as a mom, well, that they see me as like human and making mistakes and how do I deal with them. i had had a horrible morning with my eight-year-old that very morning. And so as we were going to bed, I told my 10-year-old, thank you for telling me about that. I really appreciate his openness because my eight-year-old would never tell me. And I said, I made a mistake. Can I tell you about my mistake today? And I told him what had happened that morning and left it at that. We didn't have to go into, this is how I felt, and how do you feel about what I did, and whatever. But I was trying to help him understand that, like, we all make mistakes with people, and it's okay. But this is something I'm going to have my eye on. My my fear is that because it's out of my house and out of my hands, I definitely want skills to know, okay, what can we say so that when he's out of my <laughs> control, so to speak— That he is being good. And I know that as adults, we come back and we see those situations where I didn't like someone and I really made mistakes on how I treated them. And, you know, that helps me know, okay, I matured. I may have been a jerk as a seven-year-old, but like, okay, I feel bad about that. I grew. Sometimes, though, it's yeah. it's
1: harder than that, right? I remember um, my oldest son, Miles, he had a teacher in elementary school, and he would come home and say, she doesn't like me. And, you know, you hear that, and you're like, I've been a teacher. I'm always going to side with the teacher. <laughs> like, I'm really? sure she doesn't. Like, I'm sure you're being dramatic or whatever. And you know he would give us examples, and then I thought, well, you know, I gotta listen to him. I want to validate, of course, but I, I I thought he was probably blowing it out of proportion. So I we had a meeting with this teacher, and we sat down and heard her talk about our son, and I was livid. I started not liking her too, <laughs> oh, dear. and my husband, who just likes everybody or just doesn't care, was like, I hate her.
2: <laughs> Like, oh my gosh. So oh, that's it the best was validation. Like we had just got we
1: got out of the the parent meeting and this is our first kid and the first time we've ever had this, you know, and I had done the whole thing of like, well, I'm sure she's just stressed out or, you know, I'm sure you're just taking it too personally. We went home and I apologized first of all to my to Miles and I was like, "We are sorry. She is the worst." <laughs> and just the look of like, "What don't we do now?" And then I was like, "Well, I don't know because I am not full of Love right now. I'm full of why is this woman teaching?
0: Oh.
1: But it ended up being okay because it sort of bonded us as parents to child, like we're on your side and we're going to kill her with kindness. Or, you know, <laughs> like we, we would just like come up with a plan like when she does this, just, you know. You don't have to do that or this or the other. And it was a team teacher kind of situation. And the other teacher actually recognized kind of what was going on. And so we were able to align and get him kind of out of that situation, but still interact and make it a positive interaction in the sense that, like, how can that be a positive interaction? And it was really interesting To listen to him at dinner one time, this kind of breaks your heart, but also makes you proud simultaneously. Like my son is like a fifth grader, right? Like So just like 10, 11-year-old just saying, you know what? Not everyone's going to like you. What are you going to do? And like you're eating your mashed potatoes and you're like, you're right, son. That's so resilient. And then you also, I, I remember wanting to excuse myself just to go cry in the bathroom That's just for that. a little bit that like <laughs> someone had broken his heart and that he had like, who wouldn't love my precious, right, my precious little child. <laughs> but it, it was a good, like, all in all, like he's an adult now. We can look back at that and go, what a, like a great experience to be like, yeah, we're not for everyone. She was not for everyone. <laughs> but Now, I'm always going to, like, listen to you and not try to solve it. And there are some people who are not interested in, quote-unquote, coming to a conclusion and solving the problem. They're
3: just going to be who they are and don't care if you like them or not. And that's another lesson, too, right? It's so important for our kids to know that we're in their corner, I think. So if there is a conflict where this girl is being mean to Carrie's son, like, it's great for him to know, like, you do have eyes on that. And you're aware of that. And you will help him navigate that if he needs help, right? And, and Miles knew that you had him. Because I think often kids feel like it is maybe all adults. We do often align with the teacher, right? Mm-hmm. All adults against them. So I think there's a lot of power in saying, you know, I'm in your corner. I hear you. Wow, she was mean. She is difficult, you know? Kids, they watch us a lot more closely
1: than we think they do. And I think because he was my oldest kid too, I learned that right away of like, ooh, Mm. maybe I'm not as good at practicing what I preach as I thought I was going to be because, I mean, I was so hot after that meeting and I wasn't like... Feeling my feelings and then <laughs> reacting later. I, I was
0: not. We can work together, modeling Lisa. correct <laughs> behavior.
1: So my question is, I mean, how good are you at practicing what you preach as a mom?
0: One thought, just going back to what we were talking about, is I think walking in someone's shoes. Like you can never know exactly what someone's life is like, but the fact that you actually went into the situation with that teacher gave you insight. Like that's the key. Like when I've had issues with different teachers or I've heard reports, rather than just believe the reports or get more secondhand reports, try to get into the situation, try to be there yourself to kind of assess better. In all of these situations, what we're trying to get at is like the
3: real source instead of reports. Anyway, just a thought. I love that. Can I say one more thing about this general topic that, uh, You mentioned that Miles had this experience now where he learned like at this tender age that not everyone's going to like you. And so when my kids are facing conflicts, I always fall back on that. If it doesn't go the way I wanted it to go or if it doesn't go the way they wanted it to go, I always remember how I learned, like you were saying, Karen, to not be a mean seven year old. I learned not to be mean because I was mean and I didn't like how it felt, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think there's there's power in remembering that, that I just want to hand my kids their lessons, right? I'm like, oh, I learned this and I learned this. Here you go. Right. Here you go.
2: <laughs> Let me make it easy for Let you. Me I, I figured all this mm-hmm. out.
3: Yeah. Here's a map you can follow. And that's just not how they're going to grow into the people that they want to become. So I often fall back on that. Like, okay, they're going to learn from this and that's how life works. And it's going to hurt me.
1: (laughs) And that's what it is. As as much as it hurts you, it's going to (laughs) hurt me. I just don't even know. I tell them all the time. They love it. They love to be reminded about how much I suffer for them.
0: Well, at least then they'll know how to talk to you, right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I, of course, want to make them laugh about it. Like, I want them to see, yeah, your mom isn't really great at practicing what she preaches, but Man, she never stops trying. <laughs>
3: Absolutely. And
1: she's going to bring it up again and again. Absolutely. Oh, I love that she gets it lesson. right. Are you guys good at practicing what you preach, though? Am I the only one? Come oh.
2: on. I already, <laughs> I already told you I'm not, so someone else.
0: I, I just get in trouble because, like, I think it's already a given that my kids think that I know how to do it. For me, the biggest thing has been to apologize as a parent. I've seen how it's empowering to say, you know what? Adults make mistakes. So speaking
3: of empathy and not modeling it very well, (laughs) yes, please. the recent political climate, you know, the last few years, my husband and I have talked about political issues at home and shared really frank opinions between two adults, right? Yeah. And then I've heard my kids say some things that I'm like, oh, dear, I know where you heard that but they don't have the context that we have. So it really helped me realize that when our kids are listening or preferably having conversations with our kids, we need to flesh out issues and ideas as not just one-dimensional, right? To hear our kids say things that um, came across as really, really judgmental and one-sided was a little bit like a mirror, (laughs) as something I did not like seeing, you know, and I realized that we could do better about modeling, you know, Empathy, even for public figures or big issues, it's not just the people who are closest to us. Don't just be nice to the kids at school. You show up in a kind way, in every...
1: That mirror that your kids hold up for you to look in is like the funhouse mirror. It's
2: (laughs) not always flattering
1: in the way that you expected it. But
2: that's so important. We find that that happens not only with politics, but also with religion in our house. I mean, we're trying to have religious conversations, and what I really want my kids to understand is that it's a big world with lots of people, and and this happened because this is how people believe, and we're trying to give that overall picture because I don't want to create this like dogma in my house. I want them to be prepared to go into that big world to, you know, accept people and so that they have fewer conflicts maybe in the workplace or maybe, you know, at school and forever as they deal with things. So on one side, if you're talking about a
1: sports team, who are we for, who are we against? That's one thing, but it's an entirely different thing when it's like, who do we hate? You know, who are we for or who are (laughs) we against? Who are we voting for? Or whether it's religion and politics or personality traits or we don't like this or that. In a way that feels like it's family bonding and unity can do quite the opposite.
0: Lived experiences are going to have way more impact than just all the hypotheticals we need some of the hypotheticals but whether it's religion politics or what like be interacting with people and be like oh like we just helped out at a soup kitchen like what did you notice about the people who are in the soup kitchen like like where do you think they're from or like what do you think their lives have been like like the more experience you have then you're going to have conversations Mm -hmm. that I think are a little meatier
1: I love that we hesitate to associate too closely with people we disagree with, particularly if it's a close relative that has, say, a political belief that we feel is unsafe. We might separate ourselves from them or have our children not associate so closely with them because we don't feel like it's safe. So I wanted to ask Emily Taylor from the Council of Moms into a conversation specifically as a conflict mediator How do you set clear boundaries with someone you disagree with when you want to preserve the relationship?
0: Some people, it takes a little longer to find the connection, that some kind of overlap. So this idea of the we, like there's me and you, and I'm hoping that there's some overlap between us, something that we have in common. So an example— this is kind of a strange one. But anyway, I had my dog trained out in Eastern Colorado. There's just nothing out there. Okay. The guy that's training my dog, again, like I'm not a hunter. I don't have any like experience with guns. I grew up in the Bay Area. It's just not something I'm familiar with. But this guy, you know, he's kind of rough and tumble guy. I could guess probably what his political views are and trying to find some way that we're connected. And, you know, he's talking to me about, I mean, porn, all these kinds of things, pushing my buttons. I knew he was doing it to kind of test me because he had a perception of who I was, you know, the suburban mom coming out. And what happened is when I finally, I kept asking him questions to see if there was anything that we had in common. And it turned out he loved his wife and he had deep respect for her. So once I found that topic, there was some way I could connect with him with his love for his family. I don't have to agree with him to be kind, to have interest in him as a human being, but I do need to put forth effort. And again, like, you don't have the possibility to be close to every person you you interact with. But if I interact with one person on this side of the political spectrum, the same as I deal with another person who's on the other side, if I'm the same person, then I don't need to cut anyone off. If I show respect for anyone, then they're like, oh, Emily, she's just, you know, she'll listen and maybe she doesn't agree with me, but we don't have to have an argument. We don't have to have a fight. And I don't maybe seek to connect with that person via their political identity. They call it in psychology is bringing something to salience or top of mind, meaning like, oh, I can relate to this person as a daughter or I can relate to this person as a teacher or a student, like right now, I'm a student. I haven't been a student for years, but I can relate to my fellow students who maybe have lots of differences from me because I play that role and I make it prominent rather than my political views or anything else.
1: Why is it worth it to have empathy for people we don't like? Is
0: it in our self-interest? I definitely think it's in our self-interest and hopefully we have a little bit in us that we also want to help other people. I've encountered a lot of different kinds of people and it depends on the level of closeness to you. But if someone's within your social circle that's close, like say a family member or you know a neighbor that lives right next door, right. it really is in your self-interest to have more peace, just generally speaking, to have some kind of livable, workable relationship with them. And so your dislike, if it's like every time you see this person, you get into a kind of an emotional state of like, I don't want to be around this person. Oh, there they go again. I can't get away from this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Then I think if you know you're going to have repeated interactions with someone, I think it is in your self-interest. And hopefully there's a little bit of altruism as well to learn how to get beyond the dislike to at least be able to connect on a stable, everyday level.
1: I don't think that that's necessarily the way that we really operate, though. I think we see that, you know, neighbor next door or person in the school drop off or even people in our family or whatever. And we might just think, well, what do I have to say? What social niceties just to sort of get on with my day? And we don't go that additional step to have like, you know, empathy or try to see where they're coming from, you know, so... Do you do that? Do you push through people that you're like, you have an initial reaction every time you see them, like, well, did they see me? Or I'm just going to hurry and avoid this conversation to go that next step to try to really understand where they're coming from?
0: I guess when you ask that question, I'm thinking that we don't have unlimited time and resources. So there are certain people that maybe I do kind of breeze through it and just say, hey, like, I'm going to get through this conversation. Mm-hmm. But if there are people, like you said, you know, maybe even if it's a neighbor or, you know, a teacher or a colleague, someone that you're going to interact with regularly, I do think it makes sense to try to push through it. I'm not saying you should push through it and like try to figure out how to like them or get to know them better with everyone. But say like I've been in work situations where there are people who are tough to handle. So say this one work situation, there was a woman that I needed to coordinate with and Mm -hmm. it was... Awful. Like, I could tell when I finally brought up issues that she was defensive. She was intimidated. She did not like the fact that I was being open about a situation, but my job depended on working with her. Yeah. So, in those situations, like, I had to figure it out. So, I actually laid off for a while and then I gave it some time. And then it wasn't gossiping, but I collected information. How does this person operate? How do they usually make decisions? I just went in assuming that most people make decisions or think like me. And this person was so different from anyone I'd ever worked with before. Again, I've met people like that, but working together is different. It's like if you're roommates versus just friends casually, right? right? Like it's different. You don't do the dishes or whatever, but it took time, but it's well worth the time. I was laughing because the other day I actually wanted to go over and say hi. And I chatted and we had a relationship It had been hard won. Every once in a while, I'm kind of like relieved that I don't (laughs) have to work that closely in that situation, but I figured it out. And so when I see this person, I don't have anxiety. I don't get annoyed. So my piece, like if you're talking self-interest, has actually been met, but I've also established kind of a pattern that it doesn't bother me. So I can move on and interact with that person and I get them. So close relationships, whether it's work, family, whatever, I feel like it makes sense to invest to figure out the other person's logic instead of just assuming they act like you.
1: I feel like sometimes we place so much emphasis on how we're different and then kind of retreating back to our own tribes, like on a larger sense that we we forget the value that having friends who are very different from you and think differently. And so therefore clash, like bring to your lives. And and I know that's a little bit different than like people you don't like, right? Yes. But I think we're getting more bold as a society and saying, well, I don't like people who vote this way. And I don't like people who think this. And I don't want to have anything to do with people who, you know, whatever, X, Y, Z. And I think that there is a self-interest and value in There are ways that people can enrich your life and make it better that you don't know because you don't know.
0: Yeah. No, I definitely agree that people in our society right now just divide up and they're like, I can find someone who won't disagree with me or they do things just like I do. And it's so comfortable that I don't want to spend time with people who are going to make life difficult for me. So I I get that Mm -hmm, and we see it. Sure. I just think like you're saying, there are people that bring perspectives like This this is kind of like cliche, but if you if you ever watched that movie Lincoln, Mm -hmm. you know, where he he brings his cabinet together, it's the team of rivals. He did it on purpose because he knew he couldn't make the best decisions if he just surrounded himself with people who would just say yes. So it's uncomfortable at times. Right. And I don't want to always be around people who disagree with me, but. I see differently because people notice things that I would never notice. So I'm, I'm actually a better person. So if we're talking self-interest and you want to make better decisions and have like a richer perspective, you need people who think differently than you.
1: And they might end up being people you don't really like. Yes. Initially.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, okay, so here's one thing. <laughs> one thing to think about is, is my identity based on someone agreeing with me? I think Ooh. right now- I think that's actually part of the issue is I'm vulnerable. Like, so I want to have someone like beef up my Mm self-identity by like agreeing with me. But am I confident enough? I can have a conversation with you about something we disagree upon, even though we're, you know, we're friends. Yeah. But that it doesn't make our friendship diminished. It's like, oh, no, like Lisa shared something that, you know, I maybe don't. That's not how I see the world, but we have a lot of other things in common, so we can still stay connected. But I'm not threatened by your different opinion. I can still be close to you without agreeing on everything. So that, I mean, that's kind of a different issue. It's because I already like you. But I do think that people base their friendships too much on it being like a social support, meaning like it beefs up their identity rather than just being interconnected and having a community of diverse people that build up and offer something that is needed that you don't necessarily have to offer.
1: I wonder if this is something that you practice doing because there's certainly a scale of people who maybe rub you the wrong way or people who maybe some, you know, you don't like certain aspects, but like them as a person. And then there's the extreme where you know you see that person and you just want to go the other way and and maybe we don't really meet those people or associate with people that we really don't like um quite honestly it's just kind of in our head does that make sense yeah like you know we assume so much like oh i would never like that person but but it it might not be based in any reality or actual experience
0: yeah i mean like we judge things really quickly. Our brains were made to categorize, so we like, think about even some of the apps. Like I'm, I'm married, but like dating apps, like you're in, you're out. Like I, I just use my yeah, finger, and you're in, you're out. Yeah. <laughs> but we do that. I think we're we're getting more like that. Like, mm, I don't have time for you, or you make me feel bad, or I don't, I don't like the thing. Like you talk too much, and you never listen to me. So like this dismissing of people we're actually losing out by doing that. And then we say we're lonely or we don't feel like we belong. It's because we're behaving like we don't belong. So I kind of have my little mantra of you have to practice belonging in our society now. We used to have social structures that helped you feel like you were part of something. And as we've kind of gotten so, we pulled away from authority, we need to practice belonging. And practicing belonging means... I listen to people who don't necessarily agree with me. <laughs> I look you in the eye. Like I I take time when I'm in a rush, like to get my, you know, pick up my mail from the mailbox, when I see the neighbor outside, I actually take a moment to talk to someone. Then it doesn't have to be a half an hour conversation. It could just be like, "Hey, how's it going? I heard you just had surgery. What's going on with that? Do you mind if I, you know, I'll I'll bring you something over later tonight?" Mm. Those kind of conversations where I don't have to be your best friend. But let's not complain about loneliness if we're not doing the things that create belonging. And there's actual, like, things you can do to feel like you belong and help other people do the same.
1: Are these things that you do?
0: Yes. This is my thing. Like, so I'm a busybody. Like, even with my own family, (laughs) I don't know if you can relate. But, like, so
1: I, (laughs) like— I can. Yes.
0: So even, like, I make myself stop and say, like, last night with each of my kids, I was super busy getting ready for the holidays— But I just made sure I went one by one, asked them how they were doing, asked them if they needed anything for the next day. And I actually have to remind myself. Some people don't need that reminder. I do because I tend to just get really like I just have my list and I start Mm -hmm. going down it. But maybe even putting in your list those things of like, hey, like I don't like to watch TV. My husband likes to relax watching TV. Mm -hmm. Hey, sit down for 30 minutes. Watch the football game. Don't look at your phone. (laughs) and just scratches back. I mean, it sounds like a silly thing, but those small moments, uh, they do make a difference, and you feel like you belong. Not just the other person, but you do. But you have to do the things of belonging. So that's my little shtick these days.
1: I've never considered that practicing like you belong would be such a critical element to developing empathy for people you don't like. You know, that 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 would be like a muscle that you could exercise in order to sort of practice that so that it becomes more natural, Where as before you would kind of avoid it.
0: We actually make judgments about our own thoughts and feelings by the things that we do. I'm not saying it's all behaviorism, but if I watch myself being kind to someone I don't like, I may say like, oh... I actually like that person more than I thought because why would I spend that time doing that for someone? It feels weird. That's crazy.
3: Wow. But, it, but if
0: huh. you know, like that that's part like we perceive our own personality and thoughts by perceiving our behavior. So sometimes even if you don't like something, even just starting to do something that would be kind, it foils us in our self like being selfish. Like, oh, like, oh, I actually let that other person in the lane when I could have just sped ahead because it was my right, but oh, I'm I'm a considerate person.
1: This is just who I am now. <laughs> I let people merge in my lane. I know, I know. Pat I'm trying. on the back, and then it'll <laughs> it'll happen more often, and then maybe yeah. you will hate the people who never use their blinker when they change lanes just a little less.
0: <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so sometimes it's just like a pure determination to switch behaviors, and then the feelings will come. I think oftentimes we think if we have the feelings, then we'll act on them. But sometimes- Yeah, that, that can, will motivate us. I, I need to feel inspired. Yeah, or I need to like them, then
1: I'll do nice yeah. things for them. I only give my time to people who deserve it.
0: But how about if I do nice things for someone in the process, I start liking them more because I'm doing nice things for them, right? Like you can just switch yeah, the just pattern. just switch it
1: and trick your brain. Yeah. Why not?
0: Why not? <laughs> do
1: the right thing and the feeling comes later.
0: Yes. So it's not like I'm always trying to manipulate myself, but put yourself in a situation where you like liking happens when you interact with people positively. You think of them in terms of a person and not an object Mm -hmm. to be worked on. There's there's really specific things that can make you like someone more.
1: empathy just works in friendships. You just feel it out. You don't necessarily have to work it out according to some sort of formula. Now, my go-to person for honesty is my friend, Casey, who feels very passionately about a lot of things and lives her convictions. So I want to ask her about how empathy really works in practice. So, Casey, we have talked about this A lot in real life, and this is why I wanted you to come and express what you really think, okay? So what do you do when you really want to connect with someone in real life or online, and how do you manage that relationship, whether it's a coworker or a family member, somebody you don't have to deal with, or somebody you
4: do have to deal with when it comes to politics? Good question. This is tough. These are trying times. I'm always sort of nervous anyway testing the waters with people before i really either reveal my true like what i really think or who i really am cuz it's so vulnerable for me. So i'm always kind of testing the waters in other ways with really safe and fun topics, you know, you can always kind of find out there's always common ground with i mean i don't really care about the weather but <laughs> this is why i love pop culture and talk yeah. about tv and all these other kinds of fun things. And you can always connect with people at that level and Kind of test waters, see how, where you can go with it and, and keep it at a a distance if you need to. And then the thing that you've always taught and talk about is just plain good manners.
1: Right, right. Like you don't have to say everything that you think. You
4: don't have to say everything that you think. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about getting along, but we're also talking
1: about like going one step further. Okay. Like what? how important do you think that it is then to
4: develop empathy, Yeah. to really develop empathy for someone that you don't like? Yes. Now this is going into this need to connect because we're all feeling so alone. Mm-hmm. And just in terms of keeping the peace, you know, you can sort of be at one level, but yeah, I totally agree. And this is really rewarding for me because I do care about people, and this is we love to connect and things like that, even mm-hmm. though I, I'm typically a little bit more shy and you're so, sort of mm-hmm. more outgoing. It's the same thing for both of us. And getting to know people, I have gotten to know through some of the things that I do, like a project read, where I've been with people that you wouldn't choose, right? And then you get to know them, and you find things out about them, and you, you can really have empathy for anyone if you know a little bit about where they're coming from.
1: Okay, so for people who don't know, I mean, Project Read is an adult literacy program that you volunteer, you help adults learn how to read or read better.
4: Yeah, right, which is something that I care about and I think it's great, I love to do. But a side, you know, benefit of that has Mm -hmm. been that, again, I think it's because sometimes when you're, you have your your people who you choose to be with, and you have a lot in common with them, and then you empathy for them is easy. But if you're in mm-hmm. situations where you're maybe not with people who you would have chosen, who you have less in common with, you just find like to sit with someone who like is sounding out words. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care what their politics are. You know, I just care about that yeah. for them. And so, not that everyone can do Project Read, but just when you find yourself, I mean. I also think that having had kids, it makes you realize that everyone is someone's baby. Yeah. You know? No, that's so true. (laughs) Even stupid dummies who don't agree with you on (laughs) politics. And so that motherhood has probably Mm -hmm. made me have just natural empathy more than anything else. Because you just always think of that person's mom or whatever. Yeah, and you know what looked I mean at them when they were newborn how do you do this because you are so friendly and you actually have I think deeper connections with more people than
1: I typically do I don't know I think that when we're talking about first of all I don't like to admit that I don't like anyone yeah I like to say well I don't like that thing they do or that mm-hmm. thing that they think I think is wrong and I try to kind of turn it back on myself and think well yeah. then why why does this bother me so much and I've come to realize that it's teaching me like, what I value. If I see something on social media or somebody say something in real life um, that I'm really offended by or that I just really think is wrong, then I take a step back and I go, oh, well, that's a cue <laughs> in my best moments. Mm-hmm. That's
4: a cue that I really feel deeply about that issue. Oh, that's I don't interesting. agree. Oh, so this use is it identifying to help my you core value. identify what you care about. That's such a great way to be. You are such a great way to be. That's a good thing to learn because it's not always about like getting everyone on your same page. Well, we're not doing it, right? We're not doing it and that's not going to happen. But
1: the thing that
4: is really difficult, though, is if there's somebody that
1: I know doesn't like me or doesn't like what I believe in or doesn't like what I think, like hates it. Mm -hmm. then I have a big problem. So I want to kind of go a step further with it because I'm not just talking about, oh, that's interesting. We have a difference of opinions. But when someone like looks at me and what I represent or whatever and hates it,
4: that's sort of a different feeling. Yeah, that's for sure. I have a great deal of self-loathing anyway. <laughs> so when people don't like me or think I'm stupid, I'm like, I know. I, am. Oh, I think don't that's... say that. <laughs> well, but I mean, I'm sort of being funny. But having a little bit of humility yeah. is a big part of it. Because a lot of times on a lot of things, I'm not super sure that I'm right. Well, that's because you're smart. And I think intelligent so people say so having that. a little bit of humility about that can make it a little bit... I mean, there are some things that I'm like, oh, boy... That person's for sure a dummy. I know that 100%. But I think if you have a little bit, if you think of humility as extending into some of these things, then I can't remember where I heard this, but the way it feels, how does it feel to be wrong? Mm -hmm. Exactly the same way it feels to be right until you find out that you're wrong and you might never. Yeah. (laughs) So I think I heard that in a TED talk or something, but that when I heard that, I was like, Oh, I love that, so but when think you think talking with somebody who
1: that, doesn't feel that humility, though, mm-hmm. and is like, this
4: is right, and you know they're wrong, yeah. how do you deal with that? Well, this is, now we're getting, I mean, you're just giving me all these chances to go into <laughs> what I have a master's degree, which is rhetoric, which is the art of persuasion, <laughs> which... <laughs> I love it. Now, when we're, we're doing this, and we're really, if you really are trying to find common ground, you mm-hmm. do have to go back as far as you can to where you do find what you agree on. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is often not that hard. You, you don't have to go too far back. It's like, well, we all care about our kids or we all care about whatever. But if you are instead of taking an antagonistic approach to the world, which I think used to be kind of fun, like people who did debate in college think that's fun. And it's right. kind of like winning points and things like that. But now it, everything is so antagonizing. It's so painful. I don't think that that's that fun anymore. There's there's no respite from that because everything is that. It's so much contention. Yeah, that it's not like oh let's have a debate and then our normal lives. It's like your whole your normal lives are just fraught with debate. Mm-hmm. So I think that we need to conscientiously be concerned about finding common ground. Yeah, that's a better focus instead of just going into
1: everyone's factions and.
4: Yeah, you you can't win you're not going to and you can't be winning points and you can't be winning debates because um we have to work harder at finding common ground, what we agree on. Well, what do what can we find common ground on? What can? What do we care about, you know? Yeah. And usually basic things you can find. And I just think that's something that's worth doing on purpose. What, what do you do when there's just
1: someone who just rubs you the wrong way and you just want to avoid them? How will
4: I cut them out of my life and I don't hang out with them? Is that what you do, though, really? In a time of COVID, the last two years, you really can. But what if it's some. <laughs> I know that's I know. not what you want me to No, say, no, it's not that, it's that I want to hear. In, I just, these, in the recent Curious. times, it's actually something I thought about. like during, especially when we were really locked down at the beginning, 2020, you really didn't have to hang out with anyone you didn't want to. Now, there's flip side, you couldn't hang out with people you wanted to hang out with. But I thought that was interesting. And I think a lot of people reevaluated, well, what do I want my life to look like when we're out of lockdown? And and people were prioritizing, you know, doing, you know, hanging out with things that were nurturing and people that, you know, that they liked. I realized there were so many things I did, appointments and volunteer and... Mm -hmm. Not even, just, just things that I did that I hated and dreaded. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'll do less of this when I'm able to, you know, sculpt my life in this way. But it's just a funny side
1: I know. But, Um I worry, though, that, that <laughs> that's the case, that we
4: just yeah. aren't associating with a lot of people anymore. It's true. And that is the heart of the matter yeah. because we're creating, by doing that, like I'm just you told me I could be honest. And so I was being I honest, you but be honest. I also yeah. know that that just exposed the real... That's the real problem is that we're self-selecting to make our own bubble. But we're all Where we're it. just reinforcing... Like if I only hang out with people who agree with me, then I'm just hearing all of that and all those arguments are bolsters and I'm not hearing other, you know, good arguments from other sides or even just anecdotes that make mm-hmm. me more sympathetic, more empathetic to people coming from somewhere else. And so... Um, I d- That's why I did bring up the. For me, it was Project Read. It could be award or a school or family. I mean, for a lot of people, it's family. The things that you don't choose <laughs> to yeah. hang out with, you you can't remove all of that entirely from your life. I think that would make you probably a bad person because then you would only be with people who. I mean, it's fun.
1: I prefer <laughs> it. <laughs> that might be your natural. But this inclination. is the problem. It's
4: so. Um, it's just like because of social media is already a catalyst for this and every algorithm that dictates our life is just oh you like this let me take you down this rabbit hole and give you more and more of the same and just prove what you already thought you know Well and you as- have to be really consciously choosing other things. And so that's why I think leaving some of those things in your life, volunteer or maybe it's your work or maybe it's your family where you do you are forced to be with people that don't necessarily think the same and then you see them or they make really good potato salad or <laughs> they compliment you. Yeah. And you know, you're like, "Okay, I don't have to just hate you and cut you out of my life. We disagree on this one thing. There are other things we agree about, like how good this potato salad is." <laughs>
1: And who doesn't love a good (laughs) potato salad? Because I
4: think this is an an interesting idea because
1: you and I are both Christians and in Mm -hmm. Christianity, we are told to love everyone. And I think in practice, we all interpret that in a different way. Yes. How
4: do you interpret it as a a Christian to go that step further? I don't think I have to hang out with them, but I probably shouldn't hurt them. I mean, I know that. (laughs) Right. Or actively wish ill on them. <laughs> sure. But going back to the whole answer to this, especially in just life, but also in Christianity, if we're yeah. talking about that, they do say yeah. to serve service is the answer. Because when you serve people you do like them more. Yeah. I think it's that's weird. True. That's just a it's mechanism. A, mm-hmm. It always it always happens. I always think I'm going to resent them. Because I hate helping people. (laughs) Because I'm lazy. (laughs) But it is true, and in doing it, it makes you. It just how to build empathy, serve other people. I mean, we're kind of exploring our (laughs) some of our reluctance to do that, and is it worth it? But I think that is probably how I would answer this question if I were to really answer it. I know that's the answer. Yeah.
1: Well, we talk a lot in our society about, you know, toxic relationships and relationships that bring you down and, and, and this empowerment of, you know, balancing how much influence you have. And I think that for a lot of people, it meant, okay, that's it. Ghosting, cut them off 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, in abusive relationships, that right. We're not talking we're about not that. We're not talking about that, um, that that would be necessary. But, but maybe we discard a lot of our relationships too
4: soon. I think that's right. Everyone doesn't have to be everything to you. You can just have a—I mean, I don't, but a tennis partner, right, or whatever. And (laughs) you play tennis, and you go to lunch after, and whatever, and you don't have to get super deep, but you have that in common. Mm -hmm. Or you have a book club, or you have whatever. Now, I was going to say, I do think a secret to this, you do need to have—for me, it's only one. Yes. And it's you. (laughs) But yeah. you have to have a person that you can be totally real yeah. with. And I think if you uh, me unfiltered. Yes. unfiltered, real, and we, we do agree on a lot of things. We don't agree on everything, but we're a safe place and all of that. Yeah. People do need that. I mean, it's, it's nice if it's a spouse or a friend, someone that you see often. Um, and some people maybe need more than that. Like for me, I only need one. But if I have one person, then I can just have a different level with everyone else. Okay. I don't have to go deep with everyone. and I, We're different. You and I are different in yeah. this way. But I, I don't care if everyone else likes me or agrees with me, and we can have it. you know, well, we only talk about poker. <laughs> I don't really have any. I'm trying to think of examples. <laughs> this friend is like my music friend. We talk about this other stuff, and mm-hmm. this is my poker friend, and this is my tennis partner, and this is my book club, and these are my mom friends, and this is my exercise person. Again, I don't have any of those. <laughs> But these are all
1: hypothetical These examples. are hypothetical got for it.
4: how I imagine other people <laughs> live their lives. <laughs>
1: they exercise and talk about poker. Got it.
4: Right. You got to keep but understanding. You, everyone doesn't have to be everything <laughs> yeah. to you. And But I think you're right. I don't need to cut out my poker friends or my whatever. because. Um, and something that I found with, I'm thinking of a mom friend, we wouldn't have had that much in common. We were in proximity. So mm-hmm. we were kind of together, kids the same age, that kind of thing, found ourselves always together. And over time, I mean, at the beginning, if I had said, is this going to be my best friend or not? I would have said, no, we don't agree. We're very different. Mm-hmm. We're just, But over time, years and years, we actually have more in common than I thought we did yeah. at the beginning. And so sometimes time will tell that you actually do have more in common. You don't have to cut people off immediately, but I mean, I think if you have just a couple of people, you can be totally real, Mm -hmm. let that anchor you, and just then you can be, again, it also comes back to having good manners and being able to just, you don't have to tell everyone everything you think, and it isn't your job in every situation to bring people around to your way of thinking, because you might be wrong.
1: The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio. This week, our show is produced by me, Lisa Valentine Clark, Richie T. Stedman, and McKay Menden, with help from Elsa Hurst and Darcy Ramirez. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Lisa Show, and you can talk to us directly at at BYU.edu. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to let us know how we're doing. Next week on the show, what does it really take to be the fun parent?
3: I walked up and pretended to be their waiter, oh, and cute. was giving them forks. And I was like, "Ladies and gentlemen, I am the server for today." And both of my kids, my oldest kids, looked up at me and were like, "Stop! Don't <laughs> stop! Don't, don't do that!"
0: <laughs> but do you think I stopped?
1: That's next week on the Lisa Show. You've heard our Council of Moms in
2: Action before. Being a caregiver means that my time without my kids is so precious, and if that means I need to sit and watch like four hours binging a show, Mm -hmm. I have finally, in my 40s, given myself permission to be like, I can do this, it's okay, I'm allowed. I'm a grown up, and I get to do what I wanna do. But coming soon,
1: we wanna answer your questions, whether it's parenting, finances, being creative, or just being a woman, we're gonna tackle all of your queries as a group of parents in all different stages of life. What I have with my kids
4: is,
2: we actually have a good thing going here, and I'm not gonna screw that up by looking around to see, oh, what am I not doing? So send us your questions,
1: struggles, doubts, and worries, so we can work through it together. I love mm-hmm. the deep talks, mm-hmm. but sometimes I just want to laugh, <laughs> and that's all I need. Message us on Instagram and Facebook at The Lisa Show, or you can reach out to The Lisa Show at BYU.edu. The Council of Moms is answering your questions on The Lisa Show.